0: Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back. Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplow. It's two hours with you today. John Teicher will then take over the show, 6 o'clock, talking UTEP basketball. And I'm not going to lie to you. As a UTEP fan, today sucks. Absolutely sucks, all right? The basketball teams lost on Saturday. That was bad enough. Now they need to find another offensive coordinator. And on top of that, we lost Kent Lockhart. I mean, you got to be kidding uh, with all the news that hit us over the weekend, now um, we got plenty to talk about as far as basketball, uh, and you'll hear it at six o'clock, and we'll talk about that as well. Give out some awards and and all that good stuff. Um, the football story with uh, with uh, Warner leaving that caught us completely off guard. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, as far as offensive coordinator. I mean, let's be honest, it's the most misleading title on the program. We know that Dana Dimmel calls the plays. He's been calling the plays since he's arrived. He's never relinquished it, never has any interest in relinquishing it. So, really, the offensive coordinator is more of the liaison between Coach Dimmel and the quarterbacks. That's I think that's the best way I would you know really identify it. It's not like uh, the next or the third offensive coordinator that he's hired in the last, uh, what, six years is going to suddenly call plays. I don't see that happening happening so uh it caught us off guard because of that because i mean when dave warner was brought in here i think he pretty much knew the role and i you know he and he took the job and they they they've you know they've scored points the last couple of years i, I didn't think he would be leaving now we don't know if he retired or resigned that's another weird story okay some reports say he retired other reports say he resigned we don't know I don't have Dave Warner's cell number. I didn't give him a call and find out, and uh, I haven't heard anything from UTEP yet about this. So we don't know what happened. But truthfully, whether Dave Warner retired or resigned, he's not with him anymore. So they got to find a new. They got to find a new uh, offensive coordinator. And Adrian, I know that's going to be a story we'll be talking about here in the next couple of days as we get ready for signing day, which is also weird because. Coach Warner has been uh, linked to a lot of potential signees.
1: Yeah, it's a really weird uh, and and bizarre change, right? So if we've learned anything from Dana Dimmel, it's the following of what you mentioned. He will call the plays, he will not relinquish play calling, and he will lean on his four plus decades of play calling experience uh, to lead the minors. He's not changing that. He wasn't changing that when Mike Canales was here uh, and he was the offensive coordinator. He didn't change that when Dave Warner came in as offensive coordinator and and uh, came in to provide leadership, experience, and kind of knowledge to the quarterback position, which uh, Dana Dimmel talked about when Warner got hired. And then now into their third offensive coordinator, which I'm not sure if they decide to promote from within, which direction they go with if they decide to do that internally. Um, but we do know this about UTEP's offense. It took a step back this past year. It had uh, progress in 2021, albeit I still think it had limitations, and then this past year Last year, uh, they were held back completely. They only ranked in the top five in two offensive categories. One of them was time of possession – which we all know, right? Uh, And the other one is fourth down conversions, which UTEP, that's kind of like one of those specialty stats. They were among the bottom part of Conference USA in passing efficiency, uh, total offense, scoring, and that's where you win games. You win games in scoring and and putting up offense and and putting up yards and not turning the ball over. And unfortunately for this past season with the Miners, they took a step back offensively.
0: You wrote a terrific article talking about that, and uh, it's up at 600 com. So check that Out Uh, and and again we'll talk we'll talk about that uh, here today and I want to get into a lot of talk on the Super Bowl the the championship games and and all that but first um, listen uh, and Adrian this is impossible for you to relate because you weren't born yet but I got to tell you um, I I grew up in the uh, really in the eighties that was my decade because. I was seven years old when 1980 hit, and you know when you're growing up around UTEP basketball in that decade, and you got to spend your you know your none your entire teenage years, but the majority of them watching games at the special events center because it wasn't the Don Haskins Center then; it was just the special events center, and Paul Strelzin calling the the uh, the games from the PA announcer and. Um, you know, being spoiled because your dad had great season tickets because when he moved here from New York, he got he fell in love with Utah basketball and couldn't believe how cheap a season ticket was compared to what he dealt with going to New York Knicks games and stuff like that. So, yeah, we grew up in the building, grew up around the minors, and um, it was like my home away from home. So, when you hear the news today that Ken Lockhart passed away, I mean, that's like my childhood right there. So, yeah, that one one hits close to home. It really does. And, you know, he was there from 81 to 85. Um, I loved him. His nickname was La Machine because that was the names. Strelzen gave everybody nicknames. And Kent Lockhart's nickname was La Machine. And it just so happens that, you know, probably around 84, 85 I don't know. UTEP's playing in the in the holiday tournament, the Sun Bowl uh, tournament, and one night, they finished their first game, and the second game was happening, and all the players just start sitting in these stands and relaxing and watching the games with the fans. So, I went up to each player and got some kind of p- blue piece of paper signed by the whole team. Sure enough, Lockhart's autograph says, Kent La Machine Lockhart, number 25. That was his number, and that was his nickname. So, um, and I still have that piece of paper, by the way. It's um, just a plain, either blue or green I forget what it was, but it's got the whole team on it. I mean, it was a big deal when you're a kid. So the truth is this. I was there for the triple overtime fight against BYU. I was in the crowd wasn't in my seats because one of my brothers had it, so I had the, uh, a secondary seat and got to uh, watch the game with a good friend of ours, uh, Gil Holland, who's still around here today. And uh, I was next to Gil when that fight took place and still remember it like it was yesterday. I was at all the big battles, all the big games, BYU, Utah, New Mexico, Wyoming, San Diego State, Colorado State, you name it, we were there. I mean, and, and Lockhart was like the heart and soul of those teams that I remember. Because he was six four or six five, whatever he was, he was a guard. Didn't grab a ton of rebounds, but he played tons of minutes. Um, gave usually ten points per game. Tough, hard nosed didn't mess around with anybody, Was he's, he had your back, and he was that guy, that glue guy that was such an important part on those teams as they transferred to being NCAA uh, tournament you know, favorite, you know, Every year they were in the tournament. It was incredible. So, yeah, this story hurts, especially when um, Lockhart hasn't been back to El Paso since he graduated at UTEP because he went to Australia a couple of years later and never came back. Like, he moved there played professionally, and stayed there. Never came back to the States. So, you know, we were talking about trying to get Lockhart in with a bunch of his former teammates from the 80s within the next year or two and have, like, this massive UTEP reunion, and sadly enough, it'll never happen with him because he's no longer with us. And, Adrian, that's what's so tough today is anybody who is old enough to remember Ken Lockhart and those early to mid-80s teams – understand how how valuable he was and really how tough it is to hear the news that he wasn't even 60, he was 59 and passed away today. So, yeah, that's that's difficult.
1: Yeah, I totally understand this one right here. This is a name that was brought up in my household growing up, but that's just the kind of impact Kent Lockhart made onto so many minor fans as uh, you know, whole uh, whole life and their fandom and stuff like that. My dad would talk about Kent Lockhart all the time and what great teams they had in the 80s, but you said it you said it uh, perfectly, Steve. You look at those two teams right there, 83, 84 and then the 84, 85 Team, those were great NCAA tournament teams right there, and he played an integral uh, integral role on those two squads right there, and you know played significant minutes when it came to tournament uh, action. So when you watch his performance, when you see what he really did yeah. here at UTEP over time, and you see the professional career that he was able to build after the fact, it, it's just a, an incredible life on the court and off the court as well. You hear all the great stories about what a per, what a person he was, and
0: uh, yeah, he's going to
1: definitely. Be missed by a lot of minor
0: fans i included some videos okay uh that i found on youtube with lockhart uh, in the story and i can't stress it enough to watch these videos because when you watch these games okay it's like you're in a whole different um time machine like first off anybody who was born pre you know i don't know 1984 1985 um, you don't really know what it was like going to watch these crazy games where the atmosphere was electric, the place was sold out, and and it was loud and you couldn't hear yourself think, and they were hanging banners left and right. I mean, that's what I grew. That was my childhood. That's how I grew up in this town, and it was a big deal. I mean, you had Coach Askins, you had Tim Floyd, you had Russ Bradberry. You had, um, you know, Greg Lackey. You had all these great assistants that were just bringing players left and right. Then Ellenberger shows up in the 80s, and he's there as an assistant. And meanwhile, they're just hanging banner after banner after banner, hosting the WAC tournament, winning the WAC tournament. That was like a regular thing. So I wanted to put these videos up because for people that have only heard their parents or grandparents or or uncles talk about these days— you got to be there to experience it and really understand just what that building was like on a regular basis for every big game in the whack.
1: Yeah, I feel like if you are like me and miss that generation and you look at some of the videos, you hear the audio and stuff, it's like a whole new world. It's like watching a Power 5 school right now or a mid-major hoops team that's in the top 25, See, because the way that the fans were, the way that the atmosphere was, the high level of intensity on the court yep. itself, it just makes you really appreciate that era of college basketball, which was uh, probably quality-wise something like we'll never see again. I mean, nowadays in the one-and-done era, the quality of talent, the pool, of talent might not be as where it once was uh sustained especially because you don't keep guys for 4 years you keep them for one or two and then they're off to That's the NBA true. or they're off to the portal so you, you got to cherish these players and cherish the the players like this who made some who meant so much to UTEP fans. We'll never
0: have that back. We will never have that back. Not to say that UTEP can't resurrect itself. It can. But To the extent that it was a perennial mid-major power year after year after year for 10 years in the 80s and early 90s, no. We will never, ever get that back. So, yeah, today was tough hearing the news about Lockhart. Really, really difficult. And if any of you watched uh, Lockhart play, I'd love to hear you share your stories and memories. Uh, Dave Fidel's going to join us this hour. We're going to talk to one of his closest friends at UTEP. Fidel was there with him as a freshman, and uh, those two were tight. So Dave Fidel will come on the show today remembering uh, the great Kent Lockhart, and then Russ Bradbury will join us in our 5 o'clock hour as well. Um, Super Bowl is set. San Fran, um, listen, when we talked about it, we said it. If something happened to Purdy, just like if something would have happened to Jalen Hurts, uh, that, that's the end. That is the that is the end of of that team. And you know what? Uh, you could not ask uh, and expect Josh Johnson to play and do anything. He's thirty six years old, and um, then he gets hurt, and they got to bring Purdy back, who's already injured. I mean, this was a disaster for San Francisco, an absolute disaster. But it goes to show you that outside of a handful of teams, you lose your starting quarterback, stick a fork, you're done. Simple as that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would just say this. The only thing to this I would say, in the playoffs, can we do like baseball and expand the rosters? 52-man, mm. make it like 58-man, allow three quarterbacks to be on that roster. How does San Francisco only have two quarterbacks? But you look across the league, there's only two quarterbacks rostered for most of these teams on their depth chart. So well. they, they don't usually keep a third stringer. But now in the days of concussions, the way that we're dealing with them nowadays, where you could rule out Josh Johnson based off what mm-hmm. he dealt with yesterday, you got to keep a third guy there
0: especially for the playoffs for the playoffs they should have a three quarterback rule they really should so So this was this was tough and it was you know it was it was hard to watch and and the truth is you know san francisco once they lost purdy they were done and then once they fell behind they were finished and i didn't like the way it ended they were sore losers kind of dirty towards the end listen Hey, man, you got to go out in style. You do. And and I know it's Philly and the Philly fans and and the Eagles and all that, but don't, don't leave like that. It's just not a good way to exit. And as far as the other game goes, oh, my God. I mean, listen, you can talk about the officiating all you want. But the fact is, when Cincinnati had the ball with under a minute left and Hayden Hurst got that first down, they were at the 33-yard line, um, you felt like Cincinnati was going to come down the field and McPherson was going to kick a game-winning field goal. You just did. You did not expect Cincinnati to lose that game. Um, They didn't move the ball after that. They had the great punt return um, by Sky uh, Moore. And then, of course... The, the, the push out of bounds and and you could say all you want that you shouldn't have blown the whistle and and allowed the referees to dictate the game well you know what the guy was already out of bounds you, and and don't give me this well you shouldn't be that close to him. You could still be right on top of him, but he pushed him, he shoved him. In other words, if you're chasing him out and he's already out of bounds, you just got to avoid it. If you accidentally make contact with him, that's different than a shove where you're trying to push the guy into the bench.
1: The way I look at it is Burrow, Mahomes, it's going to go down to the wire every single time these guys go at it. These are two of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, so if we want to blame the refs, all right, go ahead, go that way, but last year's game could have been decided by multiple ways. Same with this year. It came down to the end, and that's exactly what you want from two of the best quarterbacks in the league. League.
0: i didn't like the way the game was officiated me neither but, but at the same time cincinnati had the ball first and 10 with under a minute left and you thought at that point joe burrow was going to take the team down and and, and beat the uh, beat the chiefs again
1: both teams had opportunities absolutely
0: line. good way to put it all right orly dan you're both on the lines i want to get to the two of you in a moment i know what orly is going to talk about i'll probably touch on Kent lockhart and the 49ers dan you want to remember Kent lockhart you guys are both coming up next Good start. Appreciate everybody getting in. We've got less than two hours now to go here on Sports Talk as we send it over to Charlie One. Let's get our first traffic update of the afternoon. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. Super Bowl 57. Less than two weeks away. We'll be there. Driving up next Tuesday. Excited about the show. Excited about uh, all everything we're going to be delivering out there. Excited that Lane and UTEP Zay are going to have a chance to take over the show next Tuesday for us while we're driving. That's going to be a lot of fun. We've got one line open right now. One line available, 505-6009. That is our telephone number here on Sports Talk. Again, 49ers and Bengals go down in defeat. Who would you have in those games, Adrian? Because I went 1-1. and I went 2-0. and You did? Yes, yes. Look at you.
1: i and the Eagles. That That's a boy? Right. Yes.
0: All right. Good for you. Thank
1: you. I uh, We'll see what happens, Steve. Uh, I've, I've got KC winning it all. Uh, I've, I said it probably right before the playoffs, and uh, I like Mahomes going into this matchup right here, although maybe the Eagles are the more talented team, but you could say Mahomes might be the better overall player out of anybody there. And
0: he'll be healthy in two weeks. That's right. That's the biggest thing. He will be healthy in two weeks. But, hey, let's talk about it. we got the games to cover, uh, UTEP, and and all the news that we've mentioned to start the show today. Just a loaded program. Let's begin with Orley. He's first up. Then we'll get to Dan Orly. Orley, what's going on?
2: Well, tough weekend. Yep. Um, you're right. Once Purdy went down, the game was over. Yeah, But that's that's part of football. I mean, it's part of the game. I do like Adrian's idea of adding a third quarterback. Because um, we were looking at McCaffrey as a, as the quarterback.
0: Yeah, that, you, you can't, know you can't you
2: do was, that. You can't do that. It, it was a tough game. I question why the coach never challenged that catch at the beginning. But... It is what it is. There's no excuses. Uh, we got beat. We got beat. And I'll say, um, and I'll say
0: this by the way. I don't know if San Francisco makes it a game. If um, you know, if Purdy doesn't get hurt, we'll never know that. But I'll say this. We'll never when- know. They will, when when he was injured, that was the end. That was the end of San Francisco on the offensive side. Although McCaffrey scored the touchdown to make it, to tie the game early, but they just couldn't move the ball. And and it seemed like the Philadelphia defense was just feasting on uh, Johnson more than anything else. When he was going back to pass, like, it it just got uglier and uglier. And you realize, this is a 36-year-old right now hanging on for his dear life.
2: Yeah, and you got to realize, I mean, you've got to move the ball. The defense was out there way too much. I mean, sooner or later, you're going to get tired.
0: But that's credit and, to Philadelphia. Uh, that's credit to Philly oh, yeah, because, absolutely. listen, they are, the, they are the number one seed in the NFC for a reason. That is a really good yep. football team.
2: Yep. But that's the way the game is. You move on. Can't make excuses. Wait till next year. There you go. Uh, I didn't like what Trent Williams did. I thought that was kind of Bush League. But then you got to realize he played against the Eagles when he was at Washington, so there's a lot uh, more uh, rivalry there than we know. Uh, as far as Kent Lockhart, wow. Let me tell you, I, I, I remember the Haymakers. The guy, uh, just, just a lot of fun to watch. Um, you're right, uh, Steve. People don't understand. The younger generation does not know. How much fun it was to go watch the minor games back then! It was in your face. The crowd was in there. Yep, twelve thousand. It was packed, and and believe that BYU game was it. Wasn't triple overtime?
0: Yeah, that was the game in February of eighty-five. Triple OT. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, overtime, and uh, just great memories. A, a great leader, and I'm sorry, to, I didn't realize he was fifty-nine.
0: I know. Wow, I know he's wow, so young, like just, so I'm so young.
2: Older. Wow. Uh, another thing as far as UTEP, it's frustrating on the athletic department. With No, it's the football. It's frustrating. I talked to the offensive coordinator a couple of times. The nice guy came from Michigan State. Why have an offensive coordinator? Because you're not going to call the plays. And I think that's the biggest problem at UTEP is the fact Demo wants to call the plays. And you're not going to change him. He's not going to change until... Unless he gets, uh, unless they get rid of him this year. Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, the,
0: the, the truth yeah. is, the truth is this: okay, he's going to call plays until the very end. And if it doesn't if it doesn't work out, then he will go down with the ship because he's not suddenly going to change it up after six years and hire somebody specifically to call the plays on the offensive side of the ball. He's you know, he's called plays his whole life. And to to Dana Dimmel, if if he's the head coach, you know, play calling is part of his responsibility because that's what he's always done. And and I think that when you've always been a play caller, if you're a coach and you're um, like a like a CEO and you've got somebody calling the plays, you're probably gonna be second guessing that individual the entire time because you're so used to calling it yourself
2: yep you're right but you mean it's this is not kansas state this is utep it's a little different uh it's just um yeah i think that's the problem with utep but that's not going to change until we have a change of head coaching i hope we i mean let's hope we have a good year but if you look at the schedule it's not real favorable
0: no it's not it's not
2: no it's not no it's not because um I don't know, what I mean there's some teams on there, that's gonna be a challenge for you, Tip. Even the even the new schools don't go on straight Sam Houston. Sam Houston's pretty good.
0: Appreciate it, Orley. Thanks for the call. All right, take care. All right, you too. 26 pass, the sports talk continues. Uh, yeah, that's a good point that Orly brought up, though, about the coaching and, and about really the play calling because, Adrian, that's that's really what it boils down to.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm curious. If this is an internal hire, Dave Campbell's Texas football reported uh, yesterday that Scotty O'Hara will be the likely decision uh, for the offensive coordinator position. If it is uh, Coach O'Hara, that's somebody who's been there since day one for Dana Dimmel here at UTEP. So it makes a lot of sense to promote from within, and maybe they just hire a new coach uh, on the wide receiver side. Of
0: Especially if he's not calling plays. Right.
1: He's just gonna you be mean, the passing game coordinator. Yeah.
0: Or I mean, if that's the truth, and that's and that's all you're doing as the OC is you're kind of the liaison between the quarterback and the head coach, and you're kind of making sure things are good and you're not calling plays. I wouldn't bring in anybody from another school or from another – hire from within. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, Damon's calling the plays no matter what. So why spend the money on somebody else as an OC if you've got a guy that's been there since the beginning and you know that even though it's, a, it's, a, it's an offensive coordinator title – it's not a play-calling role here.
1: Right, and I think some people might think, oh, well, Hardison's third offensive coordinator throughout his time here at UTEP. Well, also at the same time, it's like Dimmel. Is, yeah. is, the playbook's not changing. Nothing it's Dimmel you're working with right there. So if I'm Dimmel, I'm hiring an, a quarterback's coach to start looking for life without Hardison after this year. I'm trying to develop quarterbacks in my system, mm-hmm. so I'm still hiring a
3: quarterback's coach.
0: Let's go to Dan. He's next up. Joins us now, 505-6009, past here on Sports Talk. How are you doing, Dan?
3: I'm doing well, Steve. Uh, my condolences to the Lockhart family. I had Kent for a class at UTEP. As a matter of fact, wow. I had him and uh, – and, uh, the big guy, uh, his seven footer. Vital. Yeah, they were in the class and a couple of football players. And I remember it was '84 because they were, we were having a discussion, and Ken said he had picked Georgetown to beat Vin- Villanova easily. And then I remember he took the ribbing on on a Wednesday, and his answer was, "That's why they play seven games in the NBA." <laughs> I remember his little picket fence. and I. Uh, I believe it was Kelly Hall. Doesn't exist anymore. It's where the athletes had it, and you know he he had his flowers or whatever he had, and he had a little small picket fence around it. You know the guy the guy was supposed to go to Stanford, but he chose UTEP because his grandma lived here, and that's how he ended up at UTEP. Uh, good guy, good guy. Uh, you know may he rest in peace. Um, my question to you, Steve is. What happens, you know, with all this money that the student athlete is getting to, to come in in that program? Uh, what happens if, let's say, like your alma mater, let's say, that UT uh, spends two million dollars on the basketball team yeah. on the revenue sharing, and this guy's it. What happens is it for is it a yearly thing? Is yes. It a four-year thing?
0: Yeah, no, it's a yearly yeah. thing. In football, it's a more of a it's a longer term commitment in football than it is in basketball. In basketball, it's a year okay. it's a year to year deal. So yeah.
3: Yeah, because you know, if if I was if I had deep pockets and and then I put out so much money and then the the basketball player, you know, tanked it and they mm-hmm. didn't they didn't even play five hundred ball. Well then what's the use? I mean I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go back and give money for, for a mediocre team. But that's my question. Thanks a lot, Steve.
0: Appreciate I'll, you. I'll talk to you guys later. Right. Thanks. Uh-huh. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you. All right. Bottom of the hour as sports talk rolls along. Let's get right back to Adrian, get this sports center update. Thank you, Adrian. Didn't Texas get drilled by Tennessee over the weekend? They got killed. Steve. They got killed, and
1: that's his old, uh, this is old boss right there, that's Rick right. Barnes.
0: Yeah, Rick Barnes uh, gave him a, gave him a pretty good stomping. He really did.
1: It ended up being, uh, it looked a little nicer than the game actually was. It was 82-71, but uh, nah, I mean, it, it was like it was like a seventeen-point yep. game, twenty-point yep. game uh, throughout that one.
0: How about the news that uh, Brock Purdy has a torn UCL? So he's going to be out six months at least for that. Here's the big question: Uh, Purdy is seeking second medical opinions about whether or not he needs surgery. Per a source, the 49ers are recommending surgery, but no decisions yet. Remember, a UCL that's like having Tommy John surgery in baseball, except he's a quarterback, and that's going to be on his throwing elbow. So that's that's how I mean. It is rare when quarterbacks suffer torn UCLs. That is about the worst news. Brock Purdy could have received after getting hurt yesterday.
1: Well, I'm going to give you a great example of somebody who went with an UCL injury last offseason and who was not the same this past year. Matthew Stafford. Mm. He dealt with an offseason injury for his UCL. He had it repaired. And look at what happened this entire season. They shut him down after, what, five games or so? And Matthew Stafford was not the same Super Bowl winning quarterback as he was last year. Uh, For Brock Purdy, he's probably seeking that second evaluation, trying not to go under the knife, hoping that he you could be rehab because I'm thinking, Steve, the offseason is looming. Yeah. Free agent quarterbacks are out there. Tom Brady might want
0: to come home. Good point. Good, good point. But wait, you know, Stafford didn't have surgery.
1: Right. Okay. So, so or did he I, did he have time so UCL? Did he? I'm not sure if he had surgery or not, but I know it was a UCL for sure. Um I am not sure if he went through under uh off-season surgery, uh but I for sure know that that this was something that always lingered throughout this entire year.
0: Yeah. Um okay. So, I thought I thought he had maybe he didn't have surgery. That's a good question. So, you know, I know he had the spinal cord contusion this year. He did have surgery.
1: Yeah, it was uh, Adam Schefter reported over last offseason that it required a minor surgery uh, for this one. It yeah. was bad tendinitis that turned into a, a
0: UCL that required surgery. But I don't know if the UCL was Tommy John or not. That's the only question. Very true. Because Tommy John surgery is, I mean, think about the, you know, you, you have it when you're a pitcher. Sometimes pitchers can become stronger, but it takes a year to rehab. So, I don't know, a UCL tear in a a quarterback? I'm interested to know if that's going to be Tommy John or not.
1: Yeah, and the interesting part about it was – the the news for Matthew Stafford dropped right before this past season started, so they kept it under wraps. They didn't tell anybody. They didn't make the surgery even public. Mm-hmm. But it, the, apparently, the surgery happened last March, and it dragged throughout the off as far as his recovery. Uh, and once he was back, he was never really back. So the he was he was not throwing the same for at least this entire season. So you wonder if he can get back to form or, or what his recovery timeline will look like, and if Purdy's is different.
0: Uh, yeah that is going to be a very interesting storyline to keep uh, to keep you know an eye on, let's put it that way. Because San Francisco was never the same. Once Josh Johnson went into the game and, and, and Purdy was out, you knew that was the end of their offense. That yeah. was and it was and it's a sad way for Purdy to go out. I mean, you know, it's one thing, you know, if you lose a game and you don't play well, but when you get hurt on the you know the second series like that and you know you're dealing with a UCL tear, that's a major, major injury and what a shame for a guy that was so terrific as a rookie.
1: Yeah, and what a shame for timing purposes too, because yep. they were saying that you know two weeks uh from now Jimmy Garoppolo would be ready to go as far as uh throwing the ball again and being back to uh, a backup quarterback to Brock Purdy assuming that they made it to the Super Bowl uh before all of this happened so you wonder going into the offseason with uh, Jimmy G becoming a free agent with Trey Lance coming back next year and uh this this surgery or this injury I should say for Brock Purdy what the 49ers do at the quarterback spot
0: good question really good question although if If uh, Tom Terrific is available, how do you say no to that? How do you say no to that? So, All right. Hey, when we come back, Dave Fidel, the former minor legend, the cheese, is going to join us, and he's going to remember his former roommate and great friend of UTEP, uh, uh, the late Kent Lockhart. That's coming up next as Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk, 43 past the hour, remembering uh, the great Kent Lockhart. After hearing the news today that uh, we lost a former minor at uh, the age of just 59, with us right now is a man that uh, played alongside him for some great, great years at UTEP. In fact, they even came in together on uh, a recruiting visit. And I learned this today, that Lockhart's a big reason why this guest uh, joined the Miners. He's Dave Feidel, and he joins us uh, on the program right now. Dave, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you on, but man, I wish it was under better circumstances.
4: Oh, you and me both. It, it's one of those days that I've spent most of the day reflecting on, you know, my days at El Paso, my relationship that I had with Ken and all the uh, the minor greats that have come through that program. So it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a tough day, but uh, it's also been a, a day after all these years uh, I've spent the great day, uh, part of the day reflecting, so. Yeah, it's one of them days, I guess.
0: I don't think a lot of our listeners realize just how close the two of you were, not just on the court, but off the court as well.
4: Oh, Ken and I had a very, very special uh, relationship. You know, Ken was a, uh, an artist. He went to school for uh, art major, and I come from a completely different type of background than Ken. But what we did have in common... Was uh, the love of the game of basketball, the love of the city of El Paso and the fans. But uh, Ken and I had a, a special bond because we had the same work ethic and we really uh, worked out on our craft of basketball. And, you know, Ken improved my game and I improved his game. And, and when I was down, Ken was there to pick me up. And when he was down, I was there to pick Ken up. So that relationship and that bond grew and grew and grew over the years. And, um, yeah, like like you had mentioned earlier, one of the biggest reasons I went to El Paso was because of Kent Lockhart. Uh, Tim Floyd did a great job recruiting me, but my deciding factor was to surround myself with people that I knew would uh, improve me as a human and improve me as a uh, basketball player. And Ken did both of those.
0: That's so incredible, uh, Dave. I mean, I'm watching these old videos from the '80s, and there's a few of them that still exist on YouTube. Not as many as I wish, but for people like uh, like you and 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 others that were uh, playing those games, and for us that were at those games, um, the atmosphere is just something that it's hard for the younger fans of today to realize uh, what that building was like and what those teams were like when uh, you were winning WAC championships, going to the postseason every year, and just hanging banners off the roof?
4: Oh, yeah. That that, that uh, never leaves with you. Nobody can take that away from you. Um, we were a, a special group of, of people and basketball players. And, you know, uh, we can talk about all the banners and we can talk about um, the city of El Paso and what that meant to us all. But it was, you know... A uh, basketball game only lasts for two hours. It was how we all got along in the in the dorm rooms, in the locker rooms. We'd go out to eat together. Um, we we spent a, a great deal of time uh, together off the court, and that's what was so special. But to, you know, and mentioned the fans and and what that brought to the city. Uh, I just remember, you know, driving by the special event centers. Thinking to myself, what the heck is going on out there? There's all these people just kind of hanging out and with camping gear, and they were actually uh, people, you know, camping out waiting on tickets for our game. It was that meant that much to the to the city, and we, you know, when we when we could jump on the court, we gave everything we had, not only for ourselves and our teammates, but the city of El Paso. Dave
0: Feidel with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. I always remembered Kent as to be a very quiet guy. He wasn't a huge talker, but did all of his work on the court. Didn't take anything from anybody. Wasn't afraid to mix it up if he needed to. And he always had his players back and could be relied on for 10 to 15 a game in a big spot when you needed him to. Uh, and just that kind of player.
4: Oh, well... Yeah, I mean, he always drew the toughest defensive assignments. Um, Ken was our lockdown expert. He took great pride in doing what it, he, he needed to do to help us win, and and that is a rarity. Where most people want to be under the limelight and you know take all the glory. Ken, Ken did all the dirty work too. He played a tough defense. He'd get a a, a steal when we were absolutely needing to uh sway the 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 tempo in our favor, uh take a charge, uh pass the ball when he needed to pass and he was extremely reliable. I mean day in and day out he, he was extremely reliable as a player and there's not a you won't find anybody that disliked Ken. He was great off the court, great on the court, um just an all around good human being.
0: Everybody remembers the BYU game in February of 85, the triple overtime game with the fight near the end of uh, regulation and the crazy thing about watching the video of that was when was when Kent was on the bottom throwing blows and he comes up punching. He nearly clocked coach Haskins who was trying to go in there to separate things.
4: Yeah, there was some uh uh You know, that was one of those games where the tensions were high. There were some uh, on-court antics uh, coming out of the BYU guys, and Kent, uh, uncharacteristic um, of him because he's not a a violent uh, person in any regard. In fact, he's one of the most meek individuals you'd want to meet. It took a lot for Ken to boil over, but when he boiled over, uh, he was like a little tornado on that court, and he was he was swinging for the fences on anybody that hit, that got within a, a, a close range. And Coach Haskins was just out there trying to, you know, pull them apart mm-hmm. and separate them. Uh, there was some timeouts where he was like, "Hey guys, keep your cool. I know there's some antics going on. Here's some language being used out here on the court. Keep your keep your cool." But when one of our teammates, um, you know, uh, was verbalized um, and at the right moment, Ken just uh, took out all his frustrations out in that brief moment.
0: Dave, you had a great – that was the most PC way of trying to summarize what Scott Sinek did to Pony Goodwin and uh, how, really, Ken had his back. And that's the beauty of the whole thing is that, you know, Ken had everybody's back. It was just that was the kind of teammate he was, and I'm sure you were the same way and everybody was because you talked about just how close and how tight-knit this group was, both on and off the court.
4: Oh, yeah. If you you wore a minor jersey um, and you were on the court, we all knew that we had each other's back, and we have one mission, and that mission was put a W up on that, uh, on that game, and we did everything we could to win, not only for ourselves, like I said, but for the fans of El Paso and the city. Um, it, uh, it, it's a very um, touching time for me. Uh, I, I wish I could go back in a time machine right now and give uh, Kent a big hug, um, not only for him but for me and, and for everybody else. But, uh, you know, for the last couple of years, we've been really trying to reconnect with Ken. He kind of fell off the radar when he w- moved to uh, Australia um, to pursue his art and his athletic career and, um, but uh you know it's just it's sad that uh, this day is here it really is
0: you're right absolutely right um when was the last time you had a chance to uh, to, to talk to kent do you remember
4: yeah you know it was a, it was one of those times again coach haskin's funeral uh we were all together at coach haskin's memorial um we uh were all together and of course, Kent heard about Coach Haskins as well, and so I don't uh, he he contacted one of the other players, and we all were on the cell phone, passing the cell phone around, talking, and everybody was smiling and laughing. and uh, Kent's just one of those guys that everybody enjoys uh, being around. And you know, I'd like for you know, maybe the same situation occurred with uh, Jeep Jackson and uh, Coach Haskins that maybe, we can find a way where we can uh, memorialize Ken in El Paso at some time. Because he, you know, every time we talked, it was about El Paso. His grandpa, his mom grew up there um, before they moved to California. So they've got had those deep roots in El Paso as well. And I'd like for, you know, uh, somehow some way for us to all get together and memorialize Ken.
0: I think that'd be beautiful. Uh, You told me a story off air earlier today about when you were nationally ranked. I love this story about your team in general and how um, after uh, your first loss of the season, you guys did something that's almost unheard of in today's game.
4: Yeah, it was. You know, as I was saying earlier, we were reflecting, and or I was reflecting today and uh, talking to a lot of ex-teammates, and we were talking about some games, and you know, we were ranked. in the top five at the time. And we were 15 and Oh, we went up to Colorado state. We, we, uh, I guess we were a little too cocky <laughs> and we got uh, bumped off. Um, and the next game we were playing in Wyoming. So it was one of those road swings where you would Colorado state. And then we went up to Wyoming and, you know, it was, it was one of those games where we were just so focused and, uh, how you can tell you're really focused as a team is not how you shoot, but how you take care of the ball. And, and it was less than one minute left in the game, and we were in the stall game. We had the, the game wrapped up, and uh, the ball bounced off of one of our teammates' foot and hit one of the other guys. But uh, they called it a, uh, a turnover, and that was the only turnover we had in the game. So it was 40 minutes. Uh, 39 minutes and 30 seconds of it was uh, no turnovers, and that's pretty much unheard of anymore. But uh, that's how we we would respond to to something like a a loss or you know, we could just get hyper-focused as a unit.
0: Dave, I know it's been a long time since you've been back in El Paso, so hopefully we get you here and a bunch of your former teammates soon. It'd be great to see you again, and can't thank you enough for spending the last 10-plus minutes with us and remembering the great Kent Lockhart here on the show.
4: Well, I really appreciate the, the time I got to talk about a really good friend, good basketball player, and a, and a true minor through and through, and that's Kent. And uh, I appreciate the time that uh, I got to spend talking about Kent. It was a, a special time in my life and uh, uh, my teammates' life as well.
0: Dave Feidel joining us here on Sports Talk as we wrap up hour number one. Come back with more Russ Bradbury next continuing our uh, time to uh, to reflect on the great Kent Lockhart as Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso. Here we go, start of hour number two on Sports Talk. Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Dave Fidel was terrific. Uh, I would expect nothing less from him or this man, former longtime UTEP assistant coach. Now he's an author, bestseller, writer, Professor, he does it all. He's also a he's also a color commentator for NMSU men's basketball and a former Aggie assistant coach. What hasn't uh, Russ Bradbury done in his uh, lifetime? Uh, so he's back <laughs> with us as well.
5: What's going on, Russ? How are
0: you?
5: Things are okay. It's a, it's a sad sad day. I got I got the text last night uh, learning about Kent Lockhart. So it's it was a shocker because he was you know he's trim and healthy and. He was always a health nut, so I'm, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit in shock today, like anybody else who knew him.
0: I don't blame you. I think a lot of us are still in shock on this one because nobody uh, it it's caught everybody by surprise. And and again, as we said earlier, just 59 years old, Russ.
5: Yeah, yeah, and and I've gotten a couple of emails from people today, Steve. I should probably say on the air just to be clear. I did not recruit Kent Lockhart. My first two years were Kent Lockhart's. Last two years, it was Tim. Uh, Floyd who recruited him and and, and, he, and like a lot of our great players, he was completely unrecruited and I don't think anybody thought he was good. well, Tim Floyd did, but I don't think anybody in California, like none of the Pac-10 schools were after him, and in fact none of, none of the Big West schools were after him but he had, you know, his grandfather lived in El Paso, and that was part of the attraction, is that um, uh Mr. Fitzgerald, I can't think of his first name, but he lived over right or just in the northeast part of town over by uh, Five Points
0: Huh! I didn't know that.
5: Yeah, yeah, Mr. Fitzgerald. One of the things I remember about Kent is he was such such a rough and rugged guy on the court. and He was very kind and generous and sweet with the grandfather. Really shocked me. I remember when he was so nice and and gentle speaking to his grandfather after practice one day. Uh, that was one of the things I remember. But the, but the other thing, one of my earliest memories of him, I, I know your fans will remember. You can look up the stats and all that stuff. But one stat I forgot was that he had 16 points when when we beat Tulsa in the NCAA tournament. You know, we haven't won a lot of NCAA tournament games recently and Lockhart was was the star of that game, of the upset of Tulsa. But I remember I'd only been on the on campus for a few weeks and Coach Haskins says, Russ, I, I know you've been over-practicing. You're dribbling at Memorial Gym. Have you watched our guys? And wh- what did you think? And he asked me about Lockhart and I said, well, Coach, he gets in a lot of fights, I think, you know, they're all having to separate him. He was, you know, from, from somebody. And Coach Haskins was quiet for a second. And he said, you know, you don't want too many of them sons of bitches who won't fight. And, uh, and, and Lockhart, it, 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 you know, first and foremost was a fighter. He was a, a competitive kid.
0: Um, I like that story. And that's, uh, that, that tells you why uh, Coach Haskins liked him so much. And you're right, by the way, Lockhart in that game was four of eight from the field, eight of ten from the line, had sixteen points, um, three assists, and a couple of steals, uh in that seventy nine seventy five win over Tulsa.
5: Yeah. And then the other one I think you posted this on the CAROD Care website today. I think I think you posted did you post the BYU finish?
0: Yes, uh, I did. Yes.
5: Yeah, so but what I remember about that game, you know, everyone saw, everyone could see the game or watch it on. where, you know, we were, we were about to win the game, and then one of their players made a racial slur against Luster Goodwin. That's correct. Story. That is correct. I, I shouldn't say that because I, I didn't hear it, but but uh, Luster Goodwin, Pony, you know, everyone called him, and, and Pony got in a scuffle, and then Lockhart, and the first thing you see on the camera is Lockhart throwing a vicious right cross that would have been, you know, that, that Mike Tyson would have been proud to throw. And, and, and so of course Lockhart got thrown out of the game. And if you remember with Coach Haskins, he couldn't wait for the game to get over because he was so intense. Like the end of the game was a real relief to him. You remember how relaxed he seemed in the locker room after the game because he was so intense. So, but you know, but but that game wound him going into triple overtime. And every time it went into an overtime, Coach Haskins would come down to the end of the you know to the end of the bench and point at Lockhart and say, "This is all your goddamn fault." You know, because it was Lockhart who had prolonged the agony of the game going on and we were we were lucky enough to to win that one. But it was an epic that was an epic well, win one of my favorite wins of all time.
0: I don't think Lockhart got thrown out of the game, did he?
5: I think well if he didn't he should have. You can see the punch pretty oh, clearly. Yeah. Maybe they weren't maybe they weren't running the instant replay to make decisions then, but he, I just remember coach coming down and kept blaming him <laughs> for prolonging the agony of, of of the game. Like we were about the game was about to be over but now coach Haskins had to endure you know the pressure you know as as you as you know Steve it's incredible pressure on the on the head on the head coach uh, well especially Jeff when it's Joe BYU Golder, especially when
0: it's BYU and it's a Saturday afternoon game
5: yeah and it was it was it was, it was, it was of course sold out and it was, it was those were those were pretty great days but he was extremely competitive but he was an interesting guy remember he had the rose garden outside his dorm room window and he grew he grew roses out, outside of his you know his dorm room, the dorm room at that time, all the players were living in i think it was called burgess hall mm-hmm. and uh they all lived to, you know they all lived together and uh and he, it was a ground floor and he was growing roses and I was running study hall those first couple of years and study hall you know sometimes you have study hall in the library or whatever, but at that time we were having study hall just you go to study your dorm room because I think Kocassin's philosophy is that look it's gonna be easier to get them there on time. No one's going to come late if it's in the dorm. And everyone was pretty respectful. I was very young. I was, you know, I'm only four years older than Kent. So I was two years older than Fred Reynolds and two years older than Paul Cunningham and some of those guys. But but everyone would be studying. Most of them would be studying and, and taking a seriously. But Lockhart would be in their painting, And that was his homework. You know, he was, you know, he was... An art major, and evidently was teaching art in in uh, at, a, at a middle school in Australia when uh, when he passed away.
0: Wow, I didn't know that. That's a, that's interesting. Yeah. I know he became after uh, playing in Australia. I heard he also became a a pretty uh a pretty popular basketball coach out there in Australia.
5: Yeah, he, he had a great rep. He was his first year, in, you know. The, oh, that's the other funny story is that when he he went, he nearly made the Knicks. He was, I think, the second to last guy cut by the New York Knicks, but the famous yeah. story that an NBA assistant told me was that, uh, that one day Hubie Brown, you know, was a tough, you know, uh, a tough, great, great coach, you know, but he would have been oblivious to who, who was from what school, and he stopped practice when Lockhart made some mistake and said, Lockhart, I don't know who in the hell your college coach was, but here's the way we do it here, you know. That, oh, that's that a great story. Thing, yeah. Which, which uh, but, but yeah, he was, uh, but he was first team all, the NBL was, uh, you know, one of the top pro leagues in the world. You know, and Lockhart was first team All NBL his first year in in Australia. And played five or six years then, and and then I don't know that he ever came home, Steve. He he when we called him from Coach Haskins' funeral, uh, with, with Dave Fidel, was there. Who well, I guess has Dave Fidel already been on today? Or yeah, he, he just
0: joined on? us right before you came on.
5: Oh geez, well it's going to be tough to top Fido because he was such an interesting guy. But but um uh. I don't I remember we called him on the you know we put him on the speaker phone and passed the phone around when from Coach Haskins funeral but I remember being surprised and then I called him a few years after that and I remember being surprised at what a thick Australian accent he had I think he was there for so long you know if I go back to Chicago I can kind of qu- all into Chicago talk and start mm-hmm. talking like Mike Ditka, and uh, or if I, you know when I'm if I've been in Ireland for a few months, I can sort of take on some Irish expressions. But Kent had, I think really really loved Australia and never and never seemed to be interested in leaving Australia.
0: That's correct. And um, everything I heard was uh, yeah, so highly regarded out there. That's really the, the story I think of uh, of Ken Lockhart and his legacy. And from what I understand, his mom even moved out there. Is that what you heard?
5: I think I think that's right, and and the mom was an interesting woman in that she was you know she was from Northern California, sort of hippie culture, and to my understanding is that Kent lived on a commune until he was twelve or thirteen years old. That he was, he was sort of the, the kid, kid of a, a a hippie mother in in the best ways. You know, Kent was Kent was funny because he was he was very disciplined as a player, but he was interested in music and art and and. Uh, and culture in a way that you know, many, a lot of us jocks, you know, were. I mean, he he knew more about music and art than I ever did, at, 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 particularly at that age. And so he was an interesting kid in that regard because he was rugged and tough, and his shoulders were so thick it was like he had volleyballs, uh, he inflated volleyballs in his shoulders. But then I also remember this, Stephen. He did not have a good senior year shooting wise.
0: Correct. You, Correct. Do you
5: remember that he sh- he shot thirty nine percent as a as a senior after being 45 or 40 and i think if i my feeling was and i think he would say this too is that he got so into the weights and improving his strength and his body and you know weights can be a little bit addicting but you you don't want to overdo it if you're a, a basketball player like i remember he could bench press nearly 400 pounds and that was that was probably a little bit more than he needed and he got off to a poor start shooting wise his senior year and i think it sort of with him, but thank goodness he didn't have any trouble shooting against Tulsa.
0: Well, he finished uh, 6.3 points per game, which was fifth on the team behind Donnell Allen, Juden Smith uh the aforementioned Dave fidel and luster goodwin but uh he always seemed to have big big performances and big moments like uh, in the article i I put up the this great condensed version of the uh, uh semi finals of the of the eighty five whack tournament it, against utah and I think yeah, I watched and, that
5: game yep yeah. and
0: and that was an overtime win and Lockhart had twelve in that one
5: yes yes he he always came up big in, in the big in the, moments. And of course he did, he yeah. he didn't care at all about it. I I remember well, I'd forgotten about this is that we'd co- the coaches would come in with the stat sheet after the game and he would grab the stat sheet and put his finger on assist and then hand the stat sheet back and I I I, until until you said that I'd forgotten until you said that story about the Utah game he was he was a funny guy that way he didn't you know a lot of guys want to know how many shots they missed or how many points they had and all he cared about was the assist and he'd hand it right back after he looked at the assist.
0: I believe it. In fact, um, his junior year. He led the team in assists uh, by a long ways. Nobody was even close to him. His his junior season.
5: Yes, yes, and so 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 part of it. Yeah, he didn't have a good shooting year his his senior year, but he had a huge rep, and we felt like I remember we felt like we had the best player we had the best player in the in the whack in Kent Locker going into that year, and and it wasn't it wasn't that we you know this happens all the time where guys don't necessarily have great shooting games but still play well well that went on with kent for for quite a while and you know if you look at uh, steve the other interesting thing is he played in three ncaa tournament games and in every all three of them he had scored in double figures and so he came up you know he came up good against unlv and yeah. we lost to north carolina state and i can't think of the pro player that he was guarding that game I'm, she's sorry i'm getting old it wasn't lorenzo charles it was oh nate mcmillan he was guarding nate mcmillan that had a long career as a and so he and he still. I think he had 12 points against going head to head with Nate McMillan, who had a long career in the NBA. He did. So he would he would he would come up big in the in the big games and as a coach, boy, you want you want that guy who's fearless and and tough and and that was Kent Lockhart.
0: Man, I'm so happy you mentioned McMillan because that's uh, that's e- exactly right. And you know you also look at at just um, you know who they had to play in, in some of these other games. And by the way, McMillan in that one um, played 31 minutes. But he only finished with nine points. So well, there's there nice. yeah, there's
5: there, there, there's a Lockhart defense, and one of the things, Steve, we've talked about this before. I think off the air and a little bit on the air is that you know some of the best players we had at UTEP were you know most of the best players we had were four year guys from mm-hmm. you know Antonio Davis and Tim Hardaway and Kent Lockhart and Fred Reynolds and you know the world is changing. I do worry about that for not not for necessary for UTEP or New Mexico State, but just for college basketball. Like there's something about. Uh, and then, of course, there were guys like, you know, like Steve Yellen, who was not a great player but hung in there and stayed and played for four years. There's a real value to that. And I do worry about this transfer portal thing about what are we teaching kids and what's the future of the game going to be. And everybody – like, like Sue, I, would, I I didn't know that uh, – I don't know Sule Boom at all. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But he was playing 37 minutes a, g- a game last year, and he transferred. You know, like, it, it's hard to know. And Jabari Rice did it with – with the Aggies were you know, he was, you know, he was, yep. he was our, our best player for, for for two or three years. And, and they can, and they can't wait to So I think we're, I just worry about the future of the game. And, and Kent Lockhart was a good example of that. Like, you know, he played pretty well as a freshman on a pretty good team. And then the team got a little bit better when he was a sophomore and made the NIT. And, mm-hmm. and then they had the break, we had the breakthrough year. I was lucky enough. We were to, to show up, you know, Steve, my, my high school team that I was the assistant coach of, we were four and 27. And then I got to UTEP, and we're 27 and four. You talk about jumping into the fast lane. Like suddenly, I went from, you know, on on one of the worst teams in Chicago as an assistant coach, to you know, to being an assistant coach for a team. We were ranked number eight, I think, at the end of the year. Wow,
0: wow. Well, all I remember is it was the it was the, one of the toughest places to play in college basketball. The building was packed all the time. The team was terrific. You know, they didn't have like a a bona fide superstar. They just had great players, and that was Lockhart. Lockhart was was a role player. He knew his role. He embraced his role, and it was almost like that you had a puzzle—a puzzle of guys playing different spots, knowing exactly what they were supposed to do, and that puzzle just fit so perfectly year after year.
5: That's right, and, and it took a certain kind of kid to 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 deal with Coach Hassings. You know, like not every player is going to be good with every coach. And you had to be resilient and tough-minded and and, and and stubborn, which was what, of course, Coach Haskins was tough-minded and stubborn. But if you, you know, I don't, like, for me, I could not have played for him. I was, it was a terrible player, but I probably would have went home and wept. And, and one thing about Coach Haskins, he was never, it was never name-calling or belittling one guy. It was belittling the entire group at once. And you had to be. You had to be. I remember my first few practices. Guys are diving on the floor and smashing into the scorers table and ready to puke it. And uh, you know, you darn, you damn guys won't work hard enough to beat anybody. And I thought, wow, there's just no. And, and you had to, you had to be resilient. With Kent, you know, that was he was a four, essentially. Well, he's a three-year starter. I don't, you know, I, I agree with you in some ways that he was a role player, but I don't think of starters as role players. But he was definitely a glue and blend. Uh, blend guy, but he sacrificed himself like anyone, and and I think anyone who played for Don Haskins could tell you this: is you work your tail off on defense the way Coach Haskins insisted, it's hard to shoot after that. You're exhausted.
0: That's true. You know that is and, true.
5: And and and, 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 and the, when the emphasis is on defense and you're all oh, your focus on everything, you're going to give something up. And I do think had had Kent gone somewhere where you know where it was a, a little bit looser and offense was stressed more and. And defense wasn't such a big deal. I think he would have averaged 20 points a game.
0: I I know this. You're right about the Knicks. He was deep into training camp with Hubie. Last cuts, I believe. I know he said next to last. I think he was last cuts in 85, which was Patrick Ewing's rookie year. I just seem to recall because we watched all the Nick preseason games because with my dad being such a Nick fan and we had MSG on the big satellite dish in those days, I remember watching Lockhart and he had a really good training camp preseason. Played minutes, played well, and uh, nearly made that Knicks team.
5: Yes, and you know a uh, big a big thing with the NBA. I think in retrospect, it was easy to see how Tim Hardaway could make it. He was thick and strong, and boy, Lockhart was raw bone. You know, I, I put it on Facebook today that if you remember Jerry Sloan, I grew up, you know, watching Jerry Sloan, play, but he, you know, sharp elbowed and you know, uh, you know, and thick shoulders, and, and 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 Lockhart was very much like that. There was no there was no pushing around. There was no pushing around Kent Lockhart. But but again, he really, really you know, it, it took a certain mentality to buy into Don Haskins. You know, not he, again, he wasn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. And and w- but with Lockhart, with that group especially, between Fred Reynolds and and Soup Campbell and Juden Smith and and those Luster Goodwin, they they really bought in, and there wasn't. But I I had forgotten about that. I should have posted that on Facebook, but I'd forgotten about him grabbing the statue because I would come in with the statue, grab it. Point to his assist, hand it right back. Nothing, it. nothing else. Nothing else concerned other than other than the victory.
0: Yep. Course. Unselfish is the best way to describe him. Very, very yep. well put. Hey, yep. Uh, yep. always appreciate it, Russ. Thanks for the time and thanks for sharing some great stories with us on the
5: show. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a sad day, and, and uh, but but uh, I think you know I don't know I, he loved his time at UTEP and he loved Coach Haskins and we should all be proud of Kent Locker.
0: It's so true, and here's what's even crazier to think about. Okay, he's only the third player. From these great teams in the '80s to have passed away, we lost Jeep first, then we lost Chris Sandel, and now hearing the the news uh, about um, again Ken Lockhart. We've we've had three from the '92 team: Russ, uh, Jim Bice, Roy Howard, and uh, also uh, we lost Ralph Davis. But they weren't on those '80s teams, so really this was the these are the first three from that great '80s
5: group. I think that's right, but if I remember right, I, I might be wrong on this. I think that Ralph and uh, it just depends on how you slice it. But I think I think Ralph and Roy Howard were both there in '89. Now I might not, I might be wrong about that. I think they had both arrived as freshmen in I'd have to look. Um, I'll tell you right now what, because I can't remember what I had for lunch today, Steve. I'm getting older, but but I, I think those guys might have or they might have been signed in the '80s. I'm not I'm not sure anymore.
0: Yeah, Ralph was a freshman in the 90 91 season and uh Roy Howard was a sophomore in 91, but he wasn't on the 90 roster yeah, as a freshman. He came as a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah, he came as yeah. a
5: sophomore. But now Ralph Redshirted. So I imagine he might have he might have redshirted the 89 90. Possibly. Season. Yep, I'm possibly. Not, I'm not sure. But yeah, that 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 is we have lost some and and those were all, you know, uh, we lost Ralph Davis a, a year and a half ago and Boy, Maxie was. Uh, we were we were crushed and we were at the funeral, but he he was a wonderful guy. As was as was Jim Bison. And Roy Howard died in a. He owned a trucking company, but died in a trucking accident.
0: Oh, terrible! Absolutely yeah. terrible. Yeah. Well, listen, we yeah. appreciate it, and uh, again, always uh, very happy to have you join us on the show and take us down memory lane, Russ. Appreciate that. Good, good
5: Stephen, and uh, I'll keep an eye on the miners from up here in Las Cruces. You go, and you keep an eye on our guys. We'll get. We're going to get better before the before too long. It has
0: to. It, it has to turn around eventually, right, Russ?
5: Yeah, I, I think we, we are. I think part of the problem, and this is one of the things that you, a good Don Haskins lesson. He always talks about how terrible we were going to be, and that you know that kept expectations low. I think you know there's so much talk about how talented we were going to be, and then you know, and then a couple things go wrong, and this goes wrong, and we've we we've struggled our chemistry and a new coach, and but now, Steve, I'm the guy who lost. I keep telling this around town. I was lost ten games in a row in the Irish Super League. Now that's not that's not the highest level of basketball, but the next year we were able to get things turned around. Brandon Mason was the MVP of the you know of, of the Irish Super League, and we won the championship. But we were in, we went from last place to first place in a year, and it was because the coach was a moron at first. Like I didn't I didn't quite get the difference, and I thought you know I could just do things the way we did in college and. Mm-hmm. It just took me a while. The players weren't that much different, but it took me a while to figure things out. And I think that's what's going on with Greg Heyer. I think I think it will just, and I, I uh, like I'm highly impressed with Joe Golden as well. That I think Joe has done a really good job with them. They, they remind me of our teams of, of UTEP. We didn't have the three-point line. We had a bunch of guys who weren't great shooters. And I think if they had a they had a shooter or two. Uh, it would be a different story for the Miners this year.
4: I
0: agree with you. Russ, appreciate it. Thanks again.
5: Okay. Tell everybody hi, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, Adrian. Okay. See you
0: guys. Russ Bradford, folks, as we continue. 24 pass. Let's go to Charlie. John Teicher, about uh, 20 minutes away. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. John Teicher, still to come. I know, Teich, uh, like many of us, hit hard today by the Ken Lockhart news. I'll tell you this, after Dave Feidel and uh, Russ Bradbury, Adrian, you get such a good idea of of the kind of basketball player and human being Ken Lockhart was.
1: A fighter, somebody who meant so much to so many people here in El Paso in this area, somebody who is... Really instrumental what he did and also did a lot after his time here at UTEP. I mean, you heard about the training camp stint with the Knicks. You heard about his time in, in Australia playing professional basketball. Just what a great basketball career. What a special life for Kent Lockhart.
0: Yeah, it's so true. It's so, so true. And by the way, it, as we said earlier, it's been a uh, been a tough weekend for UTEP. I mean, let's be honest. The men lost. The women lost. Dave Warner is out as offensive coordinator, so UTEP needs their third OC for football. This has not been an easy – and in the news of Lockhart's passing – it's been a rough weekend. There's, there hasn't been anything, you know, anything good as far as uh, UTEP news this weekend.
1: Yeah, and just to add one more thing, women's basketball also dropped a, a key game this past weekend mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, it's just a it's a tough weekend all around for UTEP fans. And heading into a week where uh, you're hoping to get more momentum at the midway point of this week, national signing day is right around the corner. Wednesday. That'll yeah that'll, that'll uh, hit Wednesday, and we'll have to see who ends up joining the UTEP football team. Man.
0: If you want to talk about it, 505 that's our telephone number. We've got 30 minutes to go. Let's get right back to Adrian in Sports Center, and then we'll come back here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Adrian, thank you very much. 32 now past the hour. Five zero five six zero zero nine. Let's give out some awards from the game on uh, on Saturday night. I know it wasn't a good one for minor fans, especially on the offensive side. I don't know how you handled the uh, hot hand of the game and our player of the game. But let's give out those awards right now. Who on a game when minor scored forty five points? Who'd you give the uh, hot hand of the game to?
1: Steve. Unfortunately, we could not give it to Shamar Givens. Uh, he would probably be the ideal candidate for something like this since he had a team high twelve points. Although, uh, we could not overlook four turnovers. We could not look over one of five from three-point range. Uh, And it just was a tough shooting day all around for Givens, who pretty much found his points, uh, you know, free throw line, layup here and there, and that was pretty much it. But uh, we went Zarek Onyema for our hot hand of the game on Saturday. He had 11 points in that one. He had four rebounds and just a turnover, a block, and a steal in that game.
0: All right. Uh, Wind supply of El Paso, folks, the exclusive uh, providers of Champion Heating and Cooling but they also carry a Reem, Mastercool and Convair. In fact, if you are looking right now for a brand new uh, refrigerated system for your household or evaporative system or heating and furnace. So easy. Here, let me give you the easiest way to do it. Just go to their website at windsupplyalpaso.com. It's got everything, but then go to the Find a Dealer tab. It's the drop-down that'll not only show you rebates, but it'll show you all of Wind Supply's preferred dealers around the El Paso radius, and you'll be able to pick out the preferred dealer nearest you, give them a call, and uh, tell them you heard it on Sports Talk and you want to learn more about what Wind Supply of El Paso can do. That's Wind Supply. El Paso.com. player of the game, Adrian, who'd we give that award to?
1: We're going the same direction. Zarek Onyema in a game in which, uh, he's fighting for minutes in, uh, I guess a little period when the Miners are starting to go a little small and showing variety in terms of their lineups. Uh, Zarek Onyema fighting for minutes, showing reasons why he should be on the court. Uh, he goes up against one of the toughest big men in the conference in Usman over with North Texas. And I thought Onyema, um, you know, for a good point, Part of it, he outplayed Usmane in, in certain stretches. But uh, regardless, he finishes with 11 points in this game, 6 rebounds, and uh, I, I thought he was probably one of the only uh, bright mo- uh, spots
0: for the miners in this game. Keats Southwest, uh, the experts when it comes to the production of custom metal-stamped components and sub-assemblies. In fact, uh, their uh, office in El Paso on Rojas Drive, not to mention their manufacturing office in Wheeling, Illinois, and they have uh, one in Mexico as well, will produce uh, up to millions of uh, different uh, products, uh, whether it's metal stamping, assemblies, brackets, bushings, clips, terminals, and so much more. If you want to learn about what Keats Southwest can do for your business, go online, keatssw.com. That is Keats, dot com. So the Miners need a new offensive coordinator. So do the Dallas Cowboys. How about that? With the news that Kellen Moore is not coming back. Uh, uh, honestly, Cowboy fans have been so frustrated with the offense and the play calling at times. I think that this is probably, along with Dan Quinn, the best possible outcome that could have come out of the coaching staff this year.
1: You know, it's so interesting. I, you got you get have to get a lot of credit on this one, Steve, because you didn't see uh, Kellen Moore coming back. And to be honest with you, I just was waiting. I, I mean, if they didn't do it last year, if they didn't do it the year before, when when were, were they trying to move on from Kellen Moore in this uh, you know this time here with the Cowboys? And this was the, the obvious uh, turning point. It was maybe the, the they kind of went at this kind of uh, crossroads within their relationship. I, I'm talking about McCarthy the front office, and Kellen Moore. He interviewed for several head coaching jobs. He's interviewed for five altogether, and he wasn't taken by any of them. So I think the Cowboys were hoping that he would be taken by a a team for a head coaching vacancy. He wasn't, so they had to part ways. And as a result, the Chargers were the first to swoop in and grab Kellen Moore. Now he'll be paired up with uh, Justin Herbert out in L.A.
0: Isn't it wild that Moore was swiped up that fast? I was shocked by that, shocked.
1: Right, and now you're looking at the uh, the Dallas Cowboys and what they do. Do they go uh, with kind of a savvy offensive mind? Do they go with somebody like Cliff Kingsbury, try to get him out of uh, a brief little retirement stint that he had after being fired with the Cardinals and heading off uh, overseas? Do they go a Clint Kubiak route, who uh, you know the Cowboys are definitely linked to, or they go Brian Schottenheimer route? Uh, he was a consultant for the Cowboys this past season. Maybe he was uh, somebody who's uh, the guy in waiting.
0: Maybe they maybe they try to go out and get Wes Phillips and bring him back even though he's a oh hot name gosh. right even though he's a hot name right now. Ooh, okay. All right. Why why not? That- he was he was with them for years. So, um I don't know what's going to happen there. It's going to be interesting, don't you think?
1: I think so. I think it's a a very interesting hire that the Cowboys need to make. Uh, It's also going to really dictate what kind of priorities do they have. Are they going to be more of a balanced offense? Will they favor the run, which a lot of fans think they should, uh, with both Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott? Do they go more toward an open offense and kind of stick with the MO that they've been running these past uh, couple years and, and stick with that spread shotgun formation? I'm not sure which direction they go.
0: By the way, this is interesting, okay? Wes Phillips denied a request to interview for the Chargers OC vacancy about uh, uh, 10 days ago. So he's the current OC right now for the Vikings. But if the Cowboys came calling, would he deny them? Because, like I said, he has history with the Dallas Cowboys. That was the first NFL organization he came up in as an assistant coach. Maybe they want to bring Wes Phillips back.
1: I just would uh caution this knowing that he has been linked with that head coach over there in Minnesota uh, Kevin O'Connell for a while they worked together in with in, with the uh, Los Angeles Rams I don't know if he, they're ready to depart from each other right away they, they just have uh, done a lot of coaching stints together so that, that'd be my only
0: thing yeah well, he was with the Cowboys from 07 to 13 so that's uh again a lot of years matter of fact we were we were there at Valley Ranch during that time period doing some sports talk live shows and just walked right in on Wes. In his office, nice. it was pre- and it was pretty cool back then. You could just show up, and there the coaches were in their office in Valley Ranch.
1: Oh, that's really cool, right there. I I uh, have only known Wes Phillips as Rams and Bengals, kind of you know the, those types of uh, stints with him. But I, I didn't I didn't realize that he spent all those years. Uh, he's he's a savant when it comes to receivers and tight ends, though. Yes, he is. So he knows that position really well. Those positions very well.
0: Isn't it interesting how many former UTEP quarterbacks have done very well when it comes yes. to leaving the minors?
1: yes and coaching at the, at the next level I know they uh, have high football IQ
0: It's true because think about it Mac Lefwitch, Jordan Palmer, Wes Phillips it's a it's a growing group.
1: Yeah, the list just goes on and on. I really like the list that that we continue to see. Uh, And now we're seeing even guys on the defensive side, you know, step up and being head coaches like we interviewed with Quentin Demps last week.
0: That's true. Hey, Keyshawn Johnson said Tom Brady to the 49ers would be a dream scenario. You agree you think 49er fans would feel the same way?
1: I don't know. I, I You watched um, Tom Brady this past year. You might not think so, but if you uh, have optimism over one of, the be- one of the best, if not the best, football players to ever uh, step foot in the National Football League, you might be optimistic and say, hey, the Bucs had a lot of injuries. You just need a serviceable quarterback. You just need a game manager back there for the 49ers. Yeah, but he's more
0: than a game manager. The thing is this. If you give him protection, because you know Tom Brady doesn't right. like to get hit, but if you keep him upright, with that receiving core and that offense, and you got Brady's experience, that's got Super Bowl written all over it. Yeah,
1: I just say game. I say game manager, but I should just say old. I mean, forty-six years old uh, next year.
0: Yeah, uh, as a forty-four-year-old, what was he doing?
1: Yeah, that's right. He was playing football. He was
0: in playing football. the
1: in the Super Bowl,
0: bingo. There you, there go. you go. So yeah. it's it can it's happen.
1: I'm,
0: I find it hard to believe that a guy suddenly becomes a grandpa in two years.
1: I, I think he was still throwing the ball. He just doesn't he doesn't like uh, contact, so he's avoiding those big hits, which you should, right? Mm-hmm. Anytime you get over 40, you should probably avoid some of those serious hits like some of the other quarterbacks do. That's Aaron Rodgers isn't necessarily uh, tra- craving
0: hits or anything like that. No, that's why, again, just wait to go to the Jets, Aaron, and we'll see how that feels. Um, when we come back, we're going to uh, send over to John Teicher. He'll get us ready for UTEP basketball 20 minutes from now uh, live as we continue, six hundred. ESPN El Paso.